Today is Resurrection Sunday. It's the day we remember and celebrate that our Lord rose from the dead. We're going to be, um, I'm going to begin reading, first of all, in John. And so you might want to turn over there with me. John is uh, chapter 20 is where we're going to read down to verse 18. And then we're going to move over into 2 Corinthians 5. So in John chapter eight, uh, 20, we get an account of the resurrection. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, I want to look at one aspect of the results of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our life. So we begin reading there, John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter. That's John. He just wants you to know that he is younger and faster than Peter. Uh, And he came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet... They did not know that the scripture, the scripture that said he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Verse 11, we're in John 20. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to the brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples, that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things to her. So this resurrection, I mean, obviously there's three other Gospels where we could go and we could read, and I encourage you before the day's out to uh, maybe head over there and read that on your own um, and just try to piece together the events of that, that first Sunday resurrection morning. But if we move over to 2 Corinthians 5, 
We look at verse 17. We get to look at the implications, the, the impact that this resurrection has upon our lives, has had, and continues to have upon people's lives. The title of the study is Radical Change. It was a radical change. Jesus was dead, and then he came to life. That's radical. But it isn't just radical 2,000 years ago. Radical change is still happening in people's lives. You know, we like change. Well, maybe some of us like change. Some of us like things to be exactly the same. But there is within all of us a desire for change. And if we have enough courage, we'll step out to see what that change might bring. Well, Jesus brings radical change. He not only brought it in his own resurrection from the dead, but then into every person's life who believes and trusts in him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the validating work of his life, his words, and his death. Because he taught and said the radical things that he did, you can know they are true not just because you like him, but because he actually rose from the dead. He did something that nobody else could do. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is a life, world-changing event. The most significant event that has happened in the world is Jesus Christ dying and rising from the dead. That's not just historically, but that's for everyone who's put their faith and trust in him. And those that have done that have come to learn of the radical change. They've come to learn of how Jesus changes them. Christ's resurrection from the dead was the event that opened the door for all who put faith in him to experience a life-changing power in their life. Now, if you're a believer, you know of that. But maybe you're listening and you have not experienced that. You know, some who are on the outside, they look at Christianity, they look at the life of Jesus and they're like, I don't get it. What's the big deal? Well, the reason why you don't get it is because you have yet to experience it. Some things you must experience. Oh, it's not that it's hidden from you. It's all over the pages of Scripture. It's all around the lives that you know that are followers of Jesus Christ. But that same power that changed Peter's life and changed the Saul, who was an early church uh, persecutor, that same power that changed their life is still changing people's life today. In 2 Corinthians 5.15 and then verse 17, we read this. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have uh, passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How inviting and uh, wonderful is the opportunity to have a do-over. Who doesn't like second chances? Who doesn't like the opportunity to take something that you've messed up and to redo it? And this is exactly what we're reading here, is that you can have a do-over in your life. You maybe have messed up your life royally. You, you, you had plans. You had ideas as a young person. And now as you look at the way life has turned out, you're like, how did I do this? Why did I do this? 
And you can maybe even feel so much discouragement and so much despair that you're like, oh, well, I might as well just keep on pressing into this messed up life I've been living because what can I do about it now? It's already damaged goods. Well, let me tell you something. Your life damaged goods, maybe you would say, it can be made new. It can change all over again. What we read there is that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So here it is. There is the opportunity for new life. But what does it mean to have a new life in Christ? Well, it means to embrace the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. Substitutionary. That's right. Jesus was on the cross for me. He was on the cross for you. And he took the penalty of our sin in his body. That's why he was beaten. That's why he was hung to the cross. Because sin was being punished by God in the body of his only begotten son, Jesus. This is the amazing thing. God has communicated to us so clearly that he loves us at the cross. But you must embrace that substitutionary work. To acknowledge that he died on the cross for your sins. That he might give you eternal life. That the penalty would be taken away so that therefore when you die and you pass from this life, you can be welcomed into heaven. To be in Christ, one must believe in his resurrection from the dead. Oh, does it really matter if I believe that he rose from the dead? (laughs) Yes, it does. It absolutely matters that you believe that he rose from the dead. Because it's a truth. And it's a transforming truth. It is one of the most powerful truths a person can believe. What you believe is a powerful thing. We see that in our world every single day. What a person thinks and believes in their mind will have a profound and radical change upon their life, the way they live their life, and the way they treat other people. Think about it. A 9-11, when those radical Muslims flew those planes into buildings, they had a belief. It was a wrong belief. It was a wicked belief, but it was a powerful belief. That belief led them to do things that they thought was right. And when you believe in anything, it can have a radical change. But how much more when you believe in the truth, the truth of God? So to be in Christ, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, number one, you got to embrace that he died on the cross for you, that he took the penalty for your sins and his body. Number two, you need to believe that he rose from the dead. And number three, you must confess that belief. It's not enough just to think in your mind, well, yeah, that's probably true. Well, that's what the Bible says. No, it's more than that. It's something that's personal. It's something that's it's intimate to you. The Bible puts it this way in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If, notice the conditional statement there. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Did you see that? You must make a confession with your mouth, with your heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead, and you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You've got to make that confession. 
you must believe in your heart. It's not enough just to have the information of Jesus out there and near you and around you. It's something that you must do. The question that every man and woman must ask themselves is whether they are in Christ. So I ask you, are you in Christ? If you want to honk your horn, you can. If you're in Christ, all right. That's really loud. Wow. <laughs> the, the question is not, are you in church? Because nobody's in church right now. The question is not, are you in the Bible? Are you reading? It's not, are you in ministry? It's not, are you in a Christian family? The question is, are you in Christ? Have you made a confession with your mouth? Have you believed in your heart that this gospel message is actually true? In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. The question is, are you born again? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? And this is where that new life will come to you. It's not, do you have some awareness that you're a sinner? It's not, do you have some awareness that you need to change things? The question is, have you made a confession with your mouth? Have you made a, a statement of belief in your heart that you need Jesus? In just a few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity that if you've not made that confession, to make that to the Lord. But you don't have to wait for that moment. If you know you need Jesus, whether you're here in this parking lot or you're watching on live stream or whether there's something you're going to watch or hear later, if you know you need Jesus, call out to him. Tell him, make that confession. Many will say, well, no one knows for sure if a person can be saved. Well, that's not what the Bible says. I know people say that, but the Bible doesn't say that. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you may wonder not that you can suppose, not that you may ponder whether or not you're really saved, but you might have a firsthand intimate knowledge. And then you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Again, in verse 20, it says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he is the only one that is able to offer eternal life. That's why the resurrection is so important. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're believing in a dead guy to give us eternal life that he couldn't even provide for himself. So yes, it matters that you believe that he rose from the dead. And we can really know it because the word of God tells us. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There it is again. You can believe that you might have everlasting life. Do you have a confidence? Do you have an assurance that you are in Christ? That your sins are forgiven? That you will be rescued from, from hell? That you will have the hope of eternal life? That you can experience radical change here and now? 
so far we've been just talking about the eternal life and the, the, the salvation that's provided to us. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks more than just about a change that will come when we leave this life and go to the next. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see that? Things have passed away. Past tense. They have become new. This is what happens when a person puts their faith and trust in their life. A radical change takes place. It isn't just a radical change that took place when Jesus rose from the dead. That was radical. But that the radical change can happen in a person's life. That their habits, that their attitudes, that they can change. They can be transformed. Again, I open by saying, some of you are saying, it's too late. My life is too much a mess. I've hurt too many people. It's not too late. It's not too late because Jesus is still performing miracles and he's still performing resurrections. Not of his own resurrection, but he's still raising us from the dead to eternal life. The radical change will come to you and your desires will be different. And you'll no longer be a slave to sin. You see, this is what the Bible tells us. Is that before coming to Christ, we were slaves to sin. You may wonder, how can I ever change? I've tried to change my whole life. But God is the one that wants to change you. Listen clearly to what Scripture says. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. For we died and we are buried with Christ by baptism. We're in Christ. And just as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. So here's the deal. When you become a person in Christ. That is, you believe in your heart that Jesus was risen from the dead. You make a confession of salvation. At that point in time, the power of God touches your life. It's something that happens in the spiritual realm, but will be realized not just in some kind of um, esoteric sense of of uh, the, the transcendent, but it will be realized in the way you live your life, the way you treat people, the love you have for people, the kindness you show. And here's all how, how else you'll be changed. Instead of when you sin, just rolling along and saying, oh, well, when you sin, after you've become in Christ, you'll be convicted. This is how you know you're a child of God, because he's correcting you. What a beautiful thing it is to have that old sinful life pass away and to be given a brand new life. If you look there in 2 Corinthians 5.17, I want to draw your attention to two words. In the middle of verse 17, it says that things have passed. Passed. This is a, a, a verb in the Greek. It's an aorist verb that speaks to a particular point in time. When have they passed away? When you make that confession. I know when that event happened in my life. I know when they, the, the old man, the old boy, passed away. 
living in Palm Springs, California. I was six years old and I gave my life to the Lord. And that old man, that old boy passed away and I was given a new life. But then the next word that we see is that all things have become new. Now the word become is an interesting word. Again, the verb is a perfect tense. Now the best way to describe the perfect tense, or maybe, I don't know if it's the best way, but one way to describe it, is imagine throwing a rock into a, a, uh, a pond that's completely still. It looks like glass. And when you throw that rock into that water, it hits there, and then the rings of that impact continue to go out. That's kind of the way the perfect tense is. Something that's happened is continuing to have reverberating impacts upon your life. There was a time when old things passed away, when you became a Christian, but you are still experiencing to this day the impacts of that belief that you had. I pray you are. I pray that you can see the power of God. Your actions changed. Your activities change. The things you and the way you speak change. The lifestyle changes. Your desires to read and to pray and to fellowship and to serve. These things have changed in your life. You now want to walk in holiness. You now want to follow the Lord. You wake up and you're like, I want to read the Bible. And you're like, who is this person I'm living with now? That's because Jesus has changed you. You've become a new creation it's this wonderful, amazing metamorphosis that takes place. It's a resurrection that takes place in your life. Now, if you never make the confession, if you never believe in your heart, you will never experience this in your life. There is a blessedness to being a new creation. The guilt and the shame that you feel in your life for the way you've lived, it's removed and you're given a peace, and you're given a sense of belonging. You're giving a sense of being cleansed and standing right before the Lord. The Spirit of God will speak to you saying, you are welcome. You are invited in. Getting a new life, quite an offer, quite amazing for us to think about. I realize that I'm speaking to many who already have gone through this transformation, but I think that Easter, Good Friday, and many other days through the, yeah, throughout the year, it is a great time for us to be reminded of what has happened in our life. What is this faith that we have and what has it done in our life? Who doesn't like to get new things? And yet here's the offer from the Lord to get a new life. To be able to have all those dumb things you've ever done wiped clean removed, no longer held against you by the Lord. Now how the world will respond to you and the dumb things you did, that's a different issue. But before God, you'll be forgiven and you'll be clean. To live a life with love and kindness and purity, who doesn't want to live like that? Who doesn't want to live an upright life, a righteous life? Who doesn't want to walk in kindness when you see an act of kindness, when you read of a person in history who just gave of themselves, every one of us hears that and thinks, that's what I want. I want to be more like that. And when you come into a relationship with the Lord, this is the change that takes place. So much so 
that the Bible says, if you don't love your neighbor, don't say that you love God. That's how clear, that's how complete a transformation happens in our life. But God is not going to force you. If we keep on reading there in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's not, you notice there the conditional statement. The word if, if anyone is in Christ, which is to say, not everyone is in Christ. Not everybody has put their faith and trust in them. Not everybody has a new creation moment in their life. The if condition must be met if you're going to experience the new creation. And there are many ways in which people go about trying to fulfill the if. They go about trying to, you know, end up with the result of a changed life. And they go through many different paths. What our world tells us today is that all paths lead to God. But that's not what God said. That's not what the Lord has to say. Many will look to a higher power. The New Age looks to self. Other religions, they look to the teachings of men. The popular view of our day is pluralism. All roads lead to God. But you know who says that? You know who says all roads lead to God? People who don't believe in God. People who are happy to have, you know, you believe in whatever you want. This is not those who are committed to following a truth they have been taught from their childhood, whether it's a truth or not, if they believe it to be a truth. It's not the Muslim. It's not the Jehovah's Witness. It's not the Mormon. It's not the Christian who says always all roads lead to Christ. It's people who don't follow. They're the ones that are saying this. But you must be in Christ. The only condition you can fulfill to experience that is to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus put it this way in John 3, 3. I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Or in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You must come through Jesus. Why? Why must you come through Jesus? Because he's the only one that came from heaven to take the penalty of your sin in his body. And that he's the only one that God ever poured out his wrath upon at the cross. And then rose from the dead to give you eternal life. He's the only one that's ever done that. You say, well, that seems really narrow. That's the way truth is. Truth is narrow. When you leave this parking lot, you're going to enter into some narrow truth. You're going to see red lights and you're going to see green lights. And you're going to see spe uh, speed uh, limit signs. And you're going to see stop signs and yield signs. They all mean something. It's a truth that we all understand. And we're supposed to follow those things. Truth is narrow. And if these things are true in the lesser areas of our life, like rules on a road, how much sore, more when we think about the truth of heaven? We're wrapping up here. I'm almost finished. Just a couple more moments. But it isn't just Jesus who said he's the only way. The writers of the New Testament, they also declare this. Acts 4.12 says, There is, it says, Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's one name. It's one person. There's one Redeemer. There's one that is atoned for your sins. And it's him 
and him alone. 1 Timothy 4, 2-6 says, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The Lord wants you to be saved. He wants to have a relationship with you. Your friends, your family, the society maybe has pushed you far away, but I'm here to tell you that your maker, your creator, he wants you to come to the knowledge of the truth that he might have a relationship with you. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. A ransom. That's paying a price to get somebody. We all are familiar with the idea of the ransom note or holding somebody hostage until you, the, the, uh, uh, the terms are met that you have stated to release that person. Well, there, all of us were held ransomed by Satan. And what was the price? It was a price of an innocent, sinless man. So God sent his son to be the God-man. And he paid the price, not with silver and gold, but with his blood. And we are redeemed. And now we can have a relationship. And it's been met, testified in due time. Now is the time. It's now the time for you to hear that and to receive that. Jesus offers us eternal life. It couldn't be any clearer in Scripture. This is not a fuzzy matter. This is not a hard-to-figure-out thing. This is not complicated language. We can find some complicated language in Scripture. We can find some things that Christians even disagree about. and What time is the rapture going to happen? And other matters. But when it comes to how to be saved... It couldn't be written with any simpler type of language. The structure of the sentences is simple. You must believe in Jesus. You must confess with your mouth. You think, well, I'm, you know, I hope I've done that. No, you know whether you've done that. And here's how you know. It's a matter of your will. You commit, you make this statement with your own heart, with your own mouth. And then the Lord receives you, and you receive this new life. Now, while I've been talking, I know some of you as Christians have been thinking, wow, I believe all that's true, but you know what's been missing in my life? The new creation life. The reverberation of the day I believed. Those, those rings of impact in my life. It seems like they have become less and less powerful and noticeable in my life. And my character is slipping back. My attitudes are changing. Those desires don't seem to be as alive like they used to be. Well, let me tell you something. The Christianity was never meant to be lived halfway. Christianity was never meant to be a half-hearted person's religion. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, they're going to take your life. But follow me. If you want to follow me, you must take up your cross and die. Follow me. If you want to follow me, you must forsake your mother and your father, your brother and sister. You can't love them more than you love me. Follow me. The claims and the statements of Jesus Christ are radical. He had a radical change, but he brought a radical message. And so if you've been trying to live your Christian faith out in a half-hearted way, with a little bit of effort there and a little bit of, you know, uh, thought here and a little bit of care and concern here it's not meant to be lived that way we're told that we must seek the lord with our whole heart 
with all of our mind, with all of our soul and our strength. And that's where we find God. You don't find God in some half-hearted attempt to follow Jesus. He's worthy of more. He's worthy of, of, of a greater commitment. So if you as a Christian who's made that confession, you know you have, but you're not seeing the continuing power, well, you need to come back to that first place when you first started following Jesus. Resolve to follow Christ and not allow anything to get in the way. You know this to be true. When you have wholeheartedly followed the Lord, you've seen that radical change in your life. But when you play around with it, when you tamper with it, you don't see the power. You don't see those new desires welling up within you and calling you to make another decision. I pray that whether you're a believer that needs to get serious about following Jesus, or whether you're an unbeliever who needs to put your faith and trust in the Lord, that you'll make that commitment, you'll make that change, that radical change in your life here and now. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the salvation that you've provided for us in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we agree. When we called upon you, when we put our faith and trust in you, you changed us, you forgave us, you cleansed us. You gave us a new passion, you gave us new desires. And we thank you for that change.